What's up, gamers, and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just entered my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming-related decree. This week, there were three main games that either had new announcements or trailers attached to them, so let's talk about them and dive right into the news catch of the week. Gamers, this past week was the latest ID at Xbox showcase event. And I got to tell you, there were a lot of great looking experiences that were on hand. New trailers, new announcements, new release dates confirmed. And most of these games were confirmed as day one launches on Xbox Game Pass, which is awesome if you are a Game Pass customer. Now, I will say that I considered the idea of doing an entire episode going through every single game that was shown off at this event. But I decided, you know what, I'm going to focus on the one game that really stands out to me and has me really excited. And I just cannot wait to play it once it comes out. And for me, that one game was Song of Iron. Now, it's a game developed by Escape LLC, and it is going to be exclusive to Xbox and PC. It is supposed to release sometime this year in 2021, so I hope that is the case. Now, what is the game, you're probably asking? Well, it is a Viking story played from a 2D side-scrolling perspective, and its story is basically following the protagonist, a Viking, obviously, part of a clan, and in order to save your clan's people, you set out on a quest as this protagonist with your clan's relic that's acting as one of your weapons, and your goal is to find the great temple of the gods. Now, the reason why your character is trying to find this temple is essentially one of your clansmen's dying wishes was for this to happen. And you made a promise that you would see that fulfilled, that wish. Now, I will say that that's all we really have so far as, as far as the synopsis is concerned. But to me, I'm good with that. I will wait for the details once I'm playing the game. It's enough to get me going and excited for it. Uh, as I said, graphically, it looks beautiful. Combat we saw a glimpse of in this most recent trailer. It looks like there's a mix of stealth assassinations, melee combat, and you got a variety of weapons and shields to choose from, and of course, a trusty bow and arrow, all from a 2D side-scrolling perspective. And I'm telling you, animations look great and fluid, and it just looks awesome. Like, say if you were to take Assassin's Creed Valhalla and turn it into a 2D side-scrolling game, that is what it looks like it could potentially be. And that's a compliment. I don't want to discredit or take anything away from Song of Iron, but I got to tell you, Vikings, assassinations, stealth, uh, it just looks so good, to be honest with you. And the gameplay, it seems to involve not just that side-scrolling combat and stealth, but there's also some platforming and puzzle-solving that was shown off in this trailer as well. So at the end of the day, this game looks excellent, and I cannot wait until it releases and get my hands on it. And it just, uh, it's such an exclamation point for me to say... I get to play it for free because it's on Game Pass day one. So definitely check out that trailer if you have not seen it yet because I highly, highly recommend checking this out based on the trailer once it releases. Now, the next game that I saw this past week that got a new trailer, it was very interesting to me. We haven't seen a lot on this game since its announcement and since the initial trailer that was released well over a year ago. The only news we've gotten 
since then was that it was delayed from 2021 into 2022. And that game is The Lord of the Rings Gollum. So if you haven't heard of it, it is a Gollum-centric game that focuses its entire story and gameplay around the character of Gollum, or Smeagol, as his alternate personality is known as. And if you're a fan of the Lord of the Rings lore and books and movies, you will be very familiar with this character. Now, I will tell you, it is developed by Didelic Entertainment, and this game is not at all like the Mordor games, Shadow of War and Shadow of Mordor. It is absolutely the opposite. You're not going to be controlling or commanding any kind of armies into battle here. Uh, you are playing as Gollum, which is, for me, the most exciting part. Because if you listen to the show, you know that I am a stealth-oriented gamer. I will always go stealth first. So the fact that this game is completely revolving around your ability to sneak around as Gollum, I am very excited about it. Uh, it's all about not just stealth, but also some platforming thrown in there for good measure. The sneaking, climbing, jumping, and wall running are all parts of the gameplay. And the, the whole purpose here is to avoid enemies. There's not necessarily a whole lot of combat that is a part of this gameplay, but there is going to be different silent takedowns that you'll be able to do if you're able to sneak up behind that annoying orcs as he's overlooking the canyon of Mount Doom or whatever the case may be. Bottom line is you do have that option if you are able to sneak up and take him out. You can do that. So not necessarily combat in the general uh, typical sense of the term, but there will be those stealth takedowns. Now the environmental puzzle solving uh, again, that's a huge piece of the gameplay here. And the developers do say that all the levels are similarly expansive, uh, quote-unquote. It's not going to be an open-world game either, like the Shadow of War games. Uh, it's going to be very, not necessarily linear, but it is a tighter experience than what many of us may have been used to in the Mordor games. Now, I will say that some of the routes are more stealth-oriented, and others will emphasize the platforming gameplay, which has been compared very heavily to the Uncharted and Assassin's Creed franchises from people who have actually seen a lot of these platforming elements in action. Now, I will say that if you are spotted, you will be able to run off and hide until the orcs stop looking for you. Uh, you also will have, as Gollum, what the developers are calling a sound sense ability, which allows Gollum to see sounds as they're happening so that you as the player can best plan your route through the areas that you're going to be traversing. Now, it's a very story-driven game as well, and there's going to be obviously cutscenes at certain points to move along that story. And Gollum's going to meet different characters that he can interact with, and those characters may even be able to help him get past certain obstacles in the environment, which will then open up new pathways for you to explore and progress in the game. Now, if you are familiar again with this source material, I'll reference again that Gollum has a split personality between himself and Smeagol. Now, Smeagol, if you don't know, is that more rational, humane being of the two personalities. And the differences of personality are going to come into play here throughout the game as gameplay choices that you're going to have to make. And choosing how to tackle certain scenarios and interacting with different characters. So you can basically choose the Gollum way of doing things, which is the more crazy, let's just kill everything in our way and just do you know whatever the most obscene option is, we're doing that. Or you can go the more Smeagol route, which is the more humane option, the more level-headed, rational thinking decision. 
So that's actually pretty cool. I, I do like that, uh, that that is going to kind of add a little bit of a depth to the gameplay. So it sounds really, really cool to me. Uh, I just can't wait for this game. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I love the movies. I love the books. I really enjoy the character of Gollum. And I think it's a very unique approach to a game uh, to focus on Gollum as a character and utilize his split personality from a gameplay mechanic standpoint, utilizing his traversal abilities with platforming and sneaking and the traversal with swinging from ropes and swinging and jumping across ledges and columns and different things of that nature. Again, Ayla, Uncharted and Assassin's Creed. All of these different gameplay elements of the different series mentioned and just in general, I love. So you combine all these different elements it sounds like it should be a great time. And Didelic did also confirm that you will see other characters from the Lord of the Rings universe as you play through the game. So it's always a lot of fun. You, you know, there's going to be Easter eggs. These other characters you come across absolutely cannot wait. Unfortunately, it's going to be until 2022 until we can actually get our hands on it and see how the gameplay is in action for ourselves. Now, the final game this past week that had a new trailer is one that is part of a series that I have thoroughly enjoyed over the years, and that is Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1. That's the new game coming from developer Frogwares, who also developed the majority of the Sherlock Holmes games in the past decade or so, and they also did The Sinking City, which I'm a huge fan of, despite a lot of its technical flaws. I absolutely loved The Sinking City and its Lovecraft inspirations. Now, I will say that as far as Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1, Frogwares is still sticking to its 2021 tentative release date, so I hope that is the case. Uh, we got a new gameplay trailer this last week that really showed off a lot of the variety of gameplay options that you're going to have within this game. You have combat, hand-to-hand. -hand. It also looks like there's going to be some gun combat in here. Uh, and in addition to that, obviously the biggest piece of any Sherlock Holmes game is going to be solving mysteries finding clues, deductive reasoning, using his mind palace, it looks like, is making a return from the previous Sherlock Holmes games where you can piece together all the clues that you've collected to come to a conclusion and potentially accuse, hey, so-and-so, I know it was you that murdered this other person, based on the clues that you've collected. And the thing is, what I've loved about these games is there's the option for you to make the wrong accusation. So that's actually, it adds a weight to the decision-making process. And, well, did I really get all the clues that I should have gotten to make the right deduction here? Now, the story behind this game is also very interesting and one that I'm very uh, excited to get into. Apparently, this is obviously called Chapter One, so it starts at the very beginning of Sherlock's career before he really gets off and going. And his mother has died, and she has died in a mysterious way on this Mediterranean island. So Sherlock comes out to this island, attends the funeral, and decides, you know what? I'm going to figure out what happened to my mother and the, the truth behind it. In addition to that, the game is very much about Sherlock proving to those residents of this island that he is, in fact, the world's greatest detective. Sorry, Batman. In addition to that, uh, he will be able to not only follow the five main chapters of the main quest storyline... But there are also, Frogware says, going to be over 30 side quests that you can pick up from different characters throughout the Mediterranean island as you explore it. And it is an open world environment. So after you perform and complete that initial quest from the main story to get things off and going, you have the island at your disposal to just kind of explore at your leisure, talk to people, pick up side quests. 
a lot of cool stuff here with this game, guys. There's also a mansion that's on this island. It's kind of like your base of operations. It's where Sherlock is staying. And throughout the course of the game, completing different quests or objectives will get you certain items that you can then decorate the interior of the mansion with. You can also buy items and furniture from vendors located throughout the island to furnish and decorate the house as well. In addition to all these options, you will have a big gameplay component in disguises. So disguises, you can also purchase or come across them via other means to help get you into different areas that you otherwise would not have access to. Uh, you can different uh, use different things that will age Sherlock and make him look older or younger or just, ah, there's so many different options here. It sounds like a lot of fun and I cannot wait to get into it. As mentioned, there is some gunplay. Now, it was very briefly shown in this trailer, and it looks like it kind of goes into a slow-mo uh, mode, and you can kind of focus on different highlighted items to shoot them. Don't know the specifics yet of what exactly that means within the context of the game, but I can't wait to find out. Hand-to-hand -hand combat also goes into kind of a slow-motion uh, viewpoint, and... It looks very different, to be honest, from the previous Sherlock Holmes games. If you played those games, it was more of like a quick timer event and extremely, extremely quick and brief when you did have these hand to hand melee interactions. Well, this looks like it's a little bit more player controlled, less quick timer events, and still that slow mo approach to it. But again, I guess we'll have to wait and see when we're actually playing it uh, to, to look and see and feel. How it actually is. So at the end of the day, this game looks like a lot of fun. I cannot wait to get into it. I loved Sherlock Holmes Crimes and Punishments, and I cannot wait to start at the beginning before he really gets off and starts his career in Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1, which will hopefully release as scheduled at some point later this year. So that was my news catch of the week. Now let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, if you've been following the show, you will know that I have been absolutely obsessed here recently with Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and that obsession has continued into this past play week. Now, I will say that probably over the course of this last week, I would say I probably got in close to 20 hours again of this game, and there is no question in my mind that that 20 hours is but a drop in the bucket of the overall game. Uh, there is just so much content to do and so many places to go in this game. Uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing, especially if you have the time. But man, uh, I, I will say it's it's also about that quality and the quality of what you are doing in these locations and during these quests and just... Uh. So let me get started. So last week I was so excited about other specifics I was talking about in the game that I failed to mention to you guys that I did in fact try out the downloadable content add-on, the River Raids, and those were added on maybe roughly a month or so ago. Uh, finally got around to them last week and a half ago. And I will say that, you know, just to explain what they are, river raids are something completely separate from the raids that you can do within the base game. These river raids actually have their own separate dock at your settlement. And they also load out from the base game world into a separate river, depending on which one you go to, because there are multiple rivers to choose from. Now, the cool thing about these is that it nets you some really cool armor. Some St. George armor is a quest line that is part of this side content. And the way you get that is pretty basic. You just kind of go through the different raids, and certain raiding locations will have chests that have the different pieces of St. George's armor. The catch is 
you have to go through all the different rivers to get all the pieces because each river only has but two or three pieces of the overall armor set. Now, I will say that in general, these river raids, just like in the base game, I enjoy, but I also cannot stand the fact that in this extended river raids DLC, my frustration is this. I have two main beefs with the river raids edition. And what that is, the first one is you start out with such a small capacity for supplies that you can bring back and use to upgrade different things, either within your settlement or the longboat. Yes, there is also a separate longboat that goes with that separate dock at your settlement. So you get foreign supplies from doing these river raids, and those are used to upgrade different things at your docks, your crew, and your longboat that are tied specifically to those river raids. Now, I feel like they start you out with way less than what they should have. You only have a capacity for 200, which in my opinion, I feel like things should be user-friendly. So if you're going to start me out with a capacity limit, let me at least have a capacity limit that allows me to get through one river in one go if I so choose to. Well, you can't do that with a capacity of 200. So I got to the last of what was two raid locations left on the first river, and guess what? I couldn't get the third out of three supply chests in that location because my capacity had been reached. It was very frustrating. You have to load out of the river raids and go back to the base game world and basically use the supplies to free up your space. Or if you have enough supplies to upgrade your capacity, you can. But I also felt that the upgrade requirements for your capacity were skewed very high. Uh, so I just, all around, I do not like that system. I, I don't think it's very user-friendly. My second complaint with these river raids, you have a crew that you go raiding with, just like in the base game. The issue I have in the base game, if your crewmates got knocked out or knocked on the ground, you had a limited amount of time to run up to them and, and revive them. No cost of your own rations or items or anything. Well, in these specific river raids, you have to use your own personal ration stock, which I personally do not like. I don't think that they should be tied to using your own inventory. Now, granted, yes, there are different cloudberry bushes and other things that are around that you can resupply your rations amount with, but I lost a couple of guys in one of the raids that I did because I ran out of rations trying to revive these people, and there was nothing around to replenish them. And the frustrating thing on top of that is not only do you have to go into your own supplies and your own inventory of rations to revive them, but also if you were unable to revive them, you then lose them for at least a couple of raids until you are until they are arrested or healed or however you want to word it. The bottom line is you lose that person and that number, uh, that body, so to speak, for the next raid. So then you start out the next raid with a lower amount of people. So I just absolutely was frustrated with a couple of the decisions made from a design standpoint on Ubisoft's end uh, when it comes to these river raids. So I haven't gone back since. But in general, the river raiding in and of itself is pretty fun. And the St. George's armor is pretty cool to look at. But outside of that, I will say that my playtime was much more pleasant in the base game. I am in East Anglia currently. Going through that continent and that landmass and just kind of going from corner to corner. I am knocking out different icons and doing collecting the wealth and the artifacts. And going through the different villages and getting different treasures, and I bought a ton of stuff from one of the villages there, a couple of new decorative elements to add to my Ravensthorpe settlement, and I did buy a new beard and hair set, 
and some tattoo designs. And that's what I love about this game is the ability to customize and really, truly play around with and make that Eivor your own. Now, I will say that in addition to this, the other main thing I was doing in East Anglia was getting started on the next main story arc, which is the tale of Thane Oswald. And in this one, it sounds very guess who's coming to dinner-ish. And what I mean by that, if you don't know, that's a reference to a an older movie that was also remade with Ashton Kutcher about a decade or more ago. Bottom line is, uh, Thane Oswald is trying to get married so that he can be the king and rule over East Anglia. Well, it's up to you as Eivor to help him out. And guess what you have to do to help this dude out? You have to go with him to dinner and help him out at his girlfriend's parents' house. So that should be very interesting because that's where I'm at and what I have left to do next. I can't wait to see how that dinner goes. Um, But I will say as far as side quests and different world events, there was a lot of great ones that I did this past week in East Anglia alone. And I would say that kids play a huge role, it would seem, in the area of East Anglia because there were at least three specific world events that involved children that were actually pretty crazy. So there was one moment where I walked uh, across uh, a village area that had some kids outside and they were ultimately playing hide and seek and asked me if I wanted to join in and play with them. So I said, yeah, sure. So initially I ran over to uh, some bushes and hid out there for a little bit, but decided, you know what? I'm going to jump on top of the roof. There's no way they're going to find me on the roof. So sure enough, I was able to hide out on the roof and watch this little kid who was it run around and find everybody else and eventually call uncle in a sense and say, hey, you won. So either way, that was pretty fun. And there was also some kids in the forest that I thought was just great. There's an altar that you go up to and you put some money down. And the bottom line is it leads to a storyline with two kids that were brother and sister. And I won't say every little detail because I'll let you experience that on your own. But it was just a really cool storyline. Thoroughly enjoyed that. And then the one that I got to end on, it involves a girl who is trying to call out to a horse. Uh, She's at these docks and across the other side of the river, you see a horse and she's calling out trying to get the horse to come over to her. Only problem is she tells you the horse is deaf, but somehow her dad always had a way to communicate with the horse to get it to come to him, even though it was deaf. Well, bottom line is I thought, okay, well, I'll just go over there and see what I can do. And if not, I'll just ride the horse around the corner to come back through the bridge and bring it back over to her. Well, bottom line is I hop on the horse and I start riding away to come cut back around because I have to go down and around to get back to the bridge that would lead me across the river because otherwise my horse can't swim. So I can't just go across the river right to the little girl. Well, as soon as I started to gallop away on the horse with intentions to go back to the girl immediately, no, no, what are you doing? Thief, why are you stealing the horse? No. And then the sound effect that you get when you complete a world event plays. And guess what? I am now Eivor the jerk, the horse thief of the little girl Uh, I tried my best to go galloping around and went to the bridge and came back around to still see if she was still there. She was not. So unfortunately, I failed at getting the horse back to her. (laughs) And the game accepted the fact that apparently I stole the horse, which was not my intent. So bottom line is that did not work out the way that I wanted it to. But again, kids seem to play a huge role in these world events in East Anglia. And the final thing that I really played around with this past week in the game, and I loved it, was the fact that I finally got to some flawless level armor uh, for my armor set of the Raven Clan gear. And it looks beautiful. Just visually, it's absolutely beautiful. And if you don't know, there is fine, superior, and flawless levels to your armor sets. 
And each one, for the most part, has a different appearance to it. So whenever you upgrade it, it looks different. And I was very happy with the appearance and the details and the different designs of the different pieces of armor on your flawless Raven Clan gear set. So thoroughly enjoyed that. And overall, my playtime this past week in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Now let's go check in and see what game that wasn't Assassin's Creed Valhalla made my highlight of the week. Gamers, you may be wondering, well, wait a minute. The only game that you mentioned in your captain's log was Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So how could something besides Valhalla be your highlight of the week? Well, it's because instead of mentioning it in my captain's log, what I wanted to say about it would have just fit perfectly within my highlight of the week. So here we are. My highlight of the week was playing, finally, Octopath Traveler. Now, if you don't know what Octopath Traveler is, it is a JRPG, 2D HD side-scrolling JRPG that was released quite a few years ago now on the Nintendo Switch. Now, I do not currently own a Nintendo Switch, nor did I at the time of this game's release, but I knew of the release and always thought that it looked pretty cool and was very interested in checking it out. And of course, anytime Square Enix is doing any kind of an RPG, I kind of raise an eyebrow or two in interest. So I was absolutely ecstatic when it was announced that Octopath Traveler was coming to the Xbox on Game Pass. So it finally released this past week on Game Pass, and I was like, you know what? I am not naive in the fact that I feel that I'm going to actually play through all 100 hours of this game, but I at least want to try it out. I, I didn't have an opportunity to when it was on the Switch. It's free on Game Pass. Let me check this game out. And I got to tell you guys, oh, I am so glad I did. I played about an hour and a half uh, when I first sat down to play this game. And I will be honest, at first I was taken aback by the graphics. Now, don't get me wrong, I knew going into it what the graphics were and what to expect, but it's still kind of jarring when you come from something like Assassin's Creed Valhalla or anything really PS5 Series X related nowadays, and we go back to essentially Super Nintendo. Now, don't get me wrong, the graphics though, let me just tell you, are beautiful. For being what they are, that 16-bit sprite, polygonal background, graphical style, it is absolutely a gorgeous game. But from what stood out to me at the very opening main menu screen was the music. The music in this game is absolutely phenomenal. I love good music, whether it's orchestral or lyrical. I love it. And this game has amazing orchestral music. Every single piece of music that I have heard so far has just been like, wow, this is awesome. And I'm sitting there playing with my Lucid Sound gaming headset, and it was right there just reverberating off of my eardrums, and it sounded so beautiful. I mean, they just, they, I don't know who the composer is. I got to look that up. But whoever it is did a phenomenal job with what I've heard so far with the score in this game. From a gameplay standpoint, you do have turn-based combat, and again, it is from a 2D side-scrolling perspective, so it's... Not just simply side-scrolling, you also are moving within a 3D environment, but it's 2D, if that makes sense. Uh, and it still works perfectly. Uh, there is just something about how well they've integrated the vibration as well. I, I gotta say, just going into and out of doors, <laughs> when you open the doors and go in and out of a building, the vibration, the rumble is perfect. I'm not saying that it's adaptive triggers, dual sense perfect, but uh, it's right there. I mean, it just feels great. 
And the gameplay and the story, you start out by choosing one of eight of the travelers that are in the game. And, oh man, it's just, I, I went with the thief. And he's got a really cool story so far. I'm thoroughly interested and engaged and drawn in. And I'm not even lying to you. It's got me so engaged to the point where I'm like, man, I kind of want to play this for a few days or for however long. And I got Assassin's Creed Valhalla sitting there. I still got Cyberpunk 2077 sitting there. But either way, just putting it out there, it was such a joy to play it and kind of go back to those days of the 16-bit and even 32-bit in the early days of the PlayStation, the later days of the PlayStation even. And those kinds of graphics, that kind of combat style, I personally haven't gone back to that in years. So it was a great nostalgic trip down memory lane for me. And I just had a blast in that short time that I spent with it. So I'm very appreciative that it released on Game Pass so that it gave me the opportunity to at least try it out. But it by far was my highlight of the week. Now let's go see what kind of buried treasure gaming tips I have for you in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. This past week playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla as much as I did, I also spent a lot of time doing a couple of things that I had not put a whole lot of time into in my overall playtime with the game. Now, the first of which I will focus on talking to you guys about here is fishing. Now, fishing can be beneficial to you in many different ways. Obviously, there are different altars and world events that you need these amounts of fish to sacrifice or to offer up for. Then there is the big clincher here, which is what I'm here to give you a tip on and to remind you that this is a function within the game, which is bartering and trading in bundles of different types of fish at the fishing hut in your settlement of Ravensthorpe. Now, in addition to not just the fish, but also hunting and your spoils of hunting, you can bring back all kinds of different pieces of animals and trade them in as well at the hunter's hut in your settlement of Ravensthorpe. And it came to my attention this past week in conversation that it was not necessarily automatically known and put out there that you could actually trade in your different fish at the fishing hut. And what is the benefit of this, you might ask? Well, fishing and hunting will net you. If you get the right required animals and fish for the respective huts, really valuable and unique runes that you can slot into your armor for different stat boosts, as well as what I personally am more interested and most interested in, which are the ingots. Now, you might ask, well, what are ingots? Well, there's all different types of ingots, but the thing is, you need the different types of ingots for the different levels of your gear. And as I mentioned earlier, there is fine, superior, and flawless levels to your gear. In order to get to each one of these respective levels, you have to have ingots. And there's a different quantity for each type of armor set. And each piece of armor in the set requires a different amount of ingots. So bottom line is, the only way to really get ingots that I've seen is trading in at the huts, the hunting and the fishing huts, as well as my final tip here, do not forget about the Thousand Eyes contracts. And what that is, is that is in your settlements and at different locations throughout the game world of Valhalla, you can pick up different timed contracts from the kids, basically, of the Thousand Eyes. And what they'll be is typically a lot of times you just have to go track down a little tiny mini story uh, location and you got to take out a couple guys or just one guy and you get the reward for it once you turn it in. And a lot of times these rewards are ingots and opals and opals are the currency that you need in order to purchase the really cool and unique armor and weapons 
from these different locations where these kids are giving you the contracts. So there's a lot of benefits in going after these contracts. Again, typically they are right within the radius of the location you are given the contracts and they usually don't take too long to complete. And there's always, always new contracts dropping. So you're never going to be without opportunities to pick up more ingots and opals. So if you're into buying that unique kind of stuff from the different shops of the Thousand Eyes, as well as if you're looking to upgrade quicker or gain quicker and faster access to ingots, as opposed to just finding them on raids or throughout the world in different chests, I would highly, highly suggest checking out the Thousand Eyes and doing multiple contracts just throughout your periodic playtime of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So now let's go check out what my captain's decree is this week. Gamers, with this past week, I have had a realization hit me, and that is what my captain's decree will be for this episode, which is 2D games will never go away, and they shouldn't. And the reason I say that, think about Song of Iron, which is the main game that really stood out to me from the Xbox showcase this past week. It's 2D, it's side-scrolling, and it looks amazing. Then you look at my time with Octopath Traveler and the amount of enjoyment I had out of that game. And on top of that, there's a lot of other games that I've played that I have on my Xbox games library that are also 2D side-scrolling and that I've had a ton of fun with in the past year or so. I'm just going to mention a few of them. Battletoads, Streets of Rage 4, Blasphemous, and Bloodstone. There are just so many amazing 2D experiences that I've had just in the last year plus. And I got to tell you, there has been a certain resurgence and desire on my end in the last few months specifically to really just kind of jump in and play an old school side scrolling game. And it just kind of came to a head with Octopath Traveler. And I cannot wait with what's coming ahead. Think about this. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Shredder's Revenge. Guess what? 2D side-scrolling game. That's what I'm saying here is 2D games are here to stay. This is where we started in video games, and I don't see us ever not having 2D games as an option for us as gamers. And I think that's a huge plus. Uh, there's just something about it. I can't explain it uh, in full detail. All I can say is there's just something about when I go back and play a game like Blasphemous when I was playing through it. And and Battletoads and Streets of Rage, those 2D side-scrolling beat-em-up games. It was just so much fun. And there's something about that simplicity that comes with those games that I think is just kind of infectious. And I also think it's a security blanket in a way for us as gamers that have been gaming for 20 plus years and grew up on those kinds of games and experiences. That's where we came from. And I think that that is one reason why 2D will never go away. There's always going to be gamers of our age, my age, uh, even the generations behind me. I know that coming up, there are still popular games that are 2D releasing to this day. And I have no doubt that there will still be amazing experiences decades from now in that same vein of the 2D experiences that we all grew up on and loved. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. 
You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on Xbox Live or PlayStation Network. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming and on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing. <laughs>